So today we were, will be continuing in our series of sermons uh, on renewal. And as we've shared before, uh, the elders and staff and, and leaders of Parkview have sort of discerned from the Lord that this is a time that we need to pursue the renewing of our hearts in God, to be reawakened and refilled, reanointed with uh, spiritual energy, vigor, and power from God. And so, uh, you know, I think of this week, especially in some of the sort of poor historical moments that we've seen, and I, it casts my mind back to, to other moments of history, and if it were maybe 10 or 15 years ago, uh, and, and something big happened, there would tend to be sort of one picture that would sort of come to mind and be splashed across sort of every, every screen, every newspaper in the country would sort of have, this happened, something happened, and here's the picture, the winning touchdown, the you know, whatever it would happen to be. Um, these days, we don't really get the one picture because of camera phones. Uh, they're probably, as I sit here in this room, uh, there's one on this, over there, there's another one, uh, probably in many of your pockets, there's not one but two, one on each side. Uh, there might be a hundred cameras in this room right now. And so if for so many of those moments, there's not just one. We don't just have one perspective. Uh, in fact, we have often dozens, sometimes hundreds, of images of what really happened. And so our perspective, uh, what we do with all that new information, you know, that's kind of another conversation. But in each case, we have an incredible sort of perspective of, of what's going on there because of the multiplicity of images. Well, as we work through this series called The Images of Renewal, we want to do that same thing. Uh, we want to think about renewal. What would, it, what would it look like for the Lord to do just what we're asking, to fill us again with love for him, for Christ, uh, to be the, the church, the people as individuals and as a group that God has called us to be. And think about it, not just from one perspective, uh, but from, from every angle, from every vantage point. And so today, we are focused on Jesus. This may, I'm going to say a lot of things today that you'll say, yeah, we know, Thomas, uh, but they're the things we need most desperately to hear from Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 20. So if you, I encourage you to bring your Bible and if you have it, open it up now. But we'll be in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20 and I'll read that aloud for us uh, in just a moment. And if you would, uh, if you're able to stand as I proclaim this word to you here in these next few moments, that would be ideal. So let's stand in reverence for God's word if you're able. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word. You may be seated. Yes, this is God's word and is good for us, and we want to see Christ, just as we sang. So 
in order for that to happen, we need God's Spirit to reveal it to us. We won't come to it just by figuring out with our own minds. We need Christ to reveal himself. So let's pray that he would do just that. Heavenly Father, you know where we are coming from this week. You know some of us are coming from a week of conquering, of doing very well in every realm, uh, and maybe even being tempted to feel like, I don't know if I need this. Other of us are coming from a place of destitution, pain, suffering, sin, and shame. And we are ever conscious of that. And maybe we're even wondering, do you want me here? Remind us of who you are, Lord. That is what we need most of all. We confess that we do not know Jesus well enough. And so often, worst of all, we confess that we think we know him well enough. We are prone to feel content with our experience of your son. Forgive us, Lord. Too often we are unimpressed. So we ask, amaze us again. Fill us with wonder. Capture our hearts. I don't need rhetorical flourishes, you say. I need you to just show me who, who is Christ. If we understand this passage, Lord, none of us will ever be bored with Christ again. Capture our hearts, capture our minds, capture our hands to obey him as the, head does the, bod- or as the body does the head. And do all this for your glory on earth, we pray. Amen. Well, there's one big message under which everything I will say today can be summarized, and that is this. We must pursue renewal by embracing our union with Jesus. Pursue renewal by embracing our union with Jesus. Uh, And we we learn a few things here uh, that inform our understanding of what it would mean for us to truly know Christ the Lord of Parfum. First thing is this, is that Jesus is the king of creation. We see that uh, it's sort of everywhere throughout this passage that Jesus is the king of creation. Perhaps most apparently it's there in verses 16 and 17. The end of verse 16, if you look down with me, it says, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Truly, Jesus is the king of creation. Uh, and really, this entire passage, and it goes on, in fact, beyond where I, where I stopped, I just didn't want to shortchange you even more on a passage that's so glorious. Um, but it's really just a, a series of descriptions of who Jesus is. This, that is, and let's just sort of walk through it. Um, first, we learn Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, uh, if you uh, have read your Bible very much, that the idea of the image of God Um, first of all, you might think of in Genesis 1 and 2 when God describes the way that he has made humans in the image of God. That is, we're made to be God's representatives on earth. But clearly, um, uh, the Apostle Paul who who penned this letter to the Colossian church, he didn't just have in mind that sort of that simple definition of the image um, because he says he's the image of the invisible God. That is, Jesus is, just like we sang in the song, the true and better Adam. He is not just, he's not the image of God in the same way that you and I are also made in the image of God and worthy of dignity and, and respect and all those things, but in the way that he reveals to us who the invisible God is. If we want to know who God is, Jesus is our primary source material. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God because he is God himself. Wow. Well, great. We're starting off with some great news. Second of all, we learn that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, This is uh, something we need to sort of have some cultural understanding here because when it says firstborn, probably the first thing that comes to our mind is that Jesus was born first. When in fact, for for Paul to be firstborn, uh, it was not so much about the sequence as it was about the significance. Uh, It's not that Jesus is the first of creation, but that he is supreme. Uh, The firstborn son of of a family in that time was given authority over sort of everything. And so as we see, as we read on, we, we realize that Paul does not understand Jesus to have been created at all, but to be the creator of all things. Not born, uh, not made, but having been in history just as the Father God was for all time. That is, he is the master of creation. He is supreme over it all. That's what it means to be firstborn. Then we notice uh, the scope of Christ's authority over creation. What, what, What part of creation is he over? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were made. The most common word in this passage, all. Or in, uh, I think it's verse 18, everything, all things. He says five times in six verses. Are we getting the point? Over all things, all creation, everything. That is, he's creation, everything that you have ever seen, touched, sensed, perceived, smelled, I don't know, everything, exists from Jesus, by Jesus, is held together now, even in the the smallest particles of of its existence, by his current sustaining power, and its purpose, its final purpose, is to serve at his pleasure. It is from him, through him, for him. All of creation exists because of, for Christ. He is the past, present, and future of every item you have ever perceived in your created existence. He is the point of every particle. He is the meaning of every molecule. He is the destiny of every decibel you have ever heard. It is all about Jesus. Uh, We have a a two-and-a-half-year-old right now, and he has just entered the why stage of life. Uh, Parents probably are familiar with this. Everything is why, daddy why, daddy why. And he will actually, you know, there are several times, probably every day, where he, he will start, to, hey, we're going to eat breakfast, why? Well, because we need food to live. Why? Well, that's how God created us. And almost every day we get to the point where he follows the why train all the way back up to, because that's how Jesus made it. And in fact, sometimes I just sort of preempt him. You know, he'll, he'll begin down the why train and it would, it's perfectly appropriate for me to just begin and say, because of Christ, to every single question. Ultimately, the answer is Christ, because Jesus is creation's cosmic king. Not, and I think it's, it's important to say that when Colossians tells us this, it's not telling us that Jesus is the best option um, for us to view as creator, um, he, this is not the, the best story to choose among many. Uh, it's not a way, it's not a path toward a good, decent life. 
Jesus is king of creation in the same way that gravity is the king of us walking around. If we don't acknowledge it, it will simply exert its will on us eventually. You will not make sense of your life until you reconcile yourself to this very simple fact that Christ is the king of creation. Now, what, what's Paul's point here? Is this, is this just kind of doctrine for doctrine's sake? He said, you know what, the Colossians, or maybe, you know, I'm thinking of the future, it'd be good to just write this down. You know, some people should know this just generally. No, in fact, when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, there were specific problems in the Colossian church that he wanted to address, and at the core of them was that they didn't understand this very fact. Um, we see this... If you sort of think about this, look at um, in verse 16 when he says, by him all things were created. He could have just stopped there. He didn't have to make a list afterward because all, I don't know if you guys know, that includes everything. Um, but he goes on and says things visible and invisible. What does that mean? You know, It's like if I were to say to you, hey, you know, if you ask me, what's your favorite color, Thomas? And I said, well, I like all colors, both blue and non-blue colors. What's your favorite dessert? Oh, I love all desserts. In fact, I love chocolate desserts and non-chocolate desserts. That's all of them, Thomas. Okay? Well, the reason that he brought those things up, you know, it's sort of, it's the same way as saying all, but he wanted to point out specifically, as they were dealing with false teachers in their midst that, was, that were saying that there are invisible powers that can hold sway over you, and if you only follow us, we can show you something beyond Christ something that he doesn't have all the power over. And so he had to remind them by reminding them of who Jesus was, that that was not true. And, and so, in fact, what, what Paul is doing is taking the person of Christ, the reality of Christ's cosmic reign, that he is the king of all creation, and applying it to their specific situation that they were dealing with at their time in their history as a church. That's exactly what we're going to do today, too, uh, in just a minute. But first, uh, we'll notice verses 18 through 20 that not only is Jesus the, the king of creation, but he's also the centerpiece of reconciliation. Verses 18 through 20 say that. They say he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, there's our phrase again, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, ending war through the blood of his cross. And again, you see, it's sort of the same rhythm. Uh, it's who is Jesus? What has he done? And really all Paul is doing is explaining those very simple things, very glorious things, but very simple things. That is, in this, in this part specifically, we see that this, and let's remind ourselves, the story of the Bible, uh, the story of history that is, according to the Bible, is really simple. God creates everything good, including his images, his people, his, his creation, Adam and Eve, remember, in the garden, uh, to rule over the creation that he's made as his representatives, as people who would wield power uh, in the way that he intended it to be, crea uh, to be done. But they rebelled against his cosmic rule. And so God looked down into his creation and made a decision. That is, the author of creation, rather than tossing the cosmos into the cosmic waste bin, said, I am not going to do that. Instead, the author of creation writes himself into the story, in the person of Jesus. 
that is not just at the beginning of creation, but in the redemption of creation. Jesus, we learn here, is supreme not just over creation at its beginning, but he is also supreme over God's subsequent work of recreation. Uh, Will mentioned this. Paul, I, th- I think, mentioned this, as, or, or I think it just came to mind as Paul was speaking, that God's plan for history is to redeem all things. He's going to set it to rights. He is going to restore the world to the way that he made it to be. He is not going to sort of set it on fire or flood it again. He is going to set the world to rights, exerting ultimate justice and establishing peace, ending war once and for all. And he will do so through Jesus. God, in fact, through Jesus, is actively undoing the curse of sin in our world through the earthly ministry of Christ. Jesus' earthly ministry, when he was here still living his life, preaching to crowds, feeding the, the sick, uh, sorry, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, was just the beginning of his earthly ministry. God himself is reconciling his broken creation back to the way it is supposed to be through his church. He is, that is, the centerpiece of reconciliation. Jesus told his disciples when he departed after being resurrected and raised into the heavenlies that that he would send his spirit to be present with them to empower them to do this very work. So we must say, God's body has ascended. God, Christ, has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he oversees and superintends this reconciling work of God to make things, all things new. But in a different sense, God's body is still on earth because he has said, I will send the Spirit, my, the Spirit of Jesus, into my body, the church, and they uh, will begin to make all things new until I return and set things to rights once and for all. Jesus' earthly ministry, in a certain sense, is still ongoing. Here we are. And Paul's chosen metaphor could not be more captivating. Jesus, he says in verse 18, is the head of the body, which is his church. Now, what does that metaphor mean? That the head of a body. Uh, What Paul wants us to do when he uses this phrase is, is to think about the ways that a body is related to a head, its head, not any old head, but its own head, (laughs) and then understand, by understanding that relationship, understand the way that we should be related to Christ both as individuals and as a a group, as a church, uh, a gathering. So what's Paul trying to communicate there? That Christ is our head. Well, the first thing uh, must be authority. What does the head do for the body? The head tells the body what to do. (laughs) The head is the control center, the command center. Uh, the The body's job, that is, is to respond to the command of the head. In fact, I think any physician will tell you that when the body begins to not respond to the head, you have a huge problem. Uh, A big, big problem. So the first thing clearly is authority. Jesus must be, if we are to commit ourselves to renewal, as we are, then the first thing we must recognize is that Jesus is cosmic king of creation, which means we should bow on our knees to him regardless, but he's also our particular head that He's connected himself to us. 
And that's the first thing we should, should learn is intimacy. He's our head. And, and how, how connected would you say is a body to a head? Uh, like two phones are connected with a line? No. Um, is it sort of like uh, you know, a gas station that has to fill up its tank you know, every once in a while so then it can dispense things to others? No. It could not be more connected. We could not live without him. We must press so deeply into the intimacy we have with Christ. Jesus is connected, as connected to us, to Parkview Church, and to us as individuals as a head, as your head, is, co- is connected to your body. How close do you like your head to be to your body? <laughs> I prefer the closest of unions, personally. I hope you do too. And when you think about Paul's history, this must have been so apparent to him. Because remember Paul, uh, when he was still Saul, the persecutor of Christ's church, walking uh, you know, on the road to Damascus to go persecute uh, believers there, and what happens? He's knocked to the ground, he's blinded, and he hears the voice of the resurrected Christ saying, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, you know, why are you persecuting my church? No, what does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Wow. From the beginning of Paul's life as a Christian, more or less, this message was imprinted on his soul. Jesus and his church are one. To persecute them is to persecute me, Jesus says. To love them is to love me. To, and so on and so on and so on. What does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us in a season of renewal? What, what kind of question should it make us ask? If this is true, and it is. If, if Jesus is as powerful over our world as verses 15 through 17 say he is, and we are as united to him as verses 18 through 19 say, then how can we not be the epicenter of renewal that verse 20 describes? Jesus doing his reconciling work, setting all things new, setting all things to right through his church. We must pursue renewal by embracing our union with Christ. If, if he really is cosmic king of creation, and we really are as united to him as a head is to a body, how can we not be incredible people of power, people free from fear and anxiety, people walking confidently in the knowledge of who he is? A church that has seriously embraced the truth, the, the very simple truth that we have seen here today is glorified, beautified, is, uh, can you imagine? The, uh, and it's so simple. I mean, the essence of renewal is not that we come to, a, to, to learn something new. It's that we, we recapture the things that we, we know Finally, or maybe for the first time in a while. What would it look like for us to to do this, to pursue this, to embrace this, this union with Christ? What would it look like for us to be a church that is all about Jesus? I have a couple thoughts. The first one is this, uh, and really this is just an extension of sort of that body and and head uh, image. The first is, let's just be obsessed with obeying Jesus. 
Let's just be obsessed with it. Let's try to make ourselves as obedient to Christ the head as we want our bodies to be obedient to our heads. Um, Because the true source of power is not just in knowing Jesus in abstract ways, uh, but in knowing him and then responding in obedience to that knowledge. Knowledge doesn't serve its own end, just like in any relationship. You know, I sit down with my wife and, you know, I, I learn things about her. Uh, but if all I do is sort of know about her without ever using that knowledge, Katie, what's your favorite restaurant? What's your fa- what would you love to do tonight? What would you? Oh, great, now I know that. I'm going to go do whatever I want. No, no, no. It serves a purpose. It's so that I can please her, so I can love her. And with Christ, it's so that we can obey him. That is, it's been said that obedience is the love language of Jesus. And so we can learn. So let's honor. Uh, one of the ways I think that would look around here, um, just on a day-to-day sort of, week-to-week, Sunday morning, maybe, basis, would be this. We should honor those who obey Jesus. Point it out. Notice it in in each other. Notice, um, uh, let's embrace the fact that sometimes it will be unpopular. Uh, There are some of us who are making decisions on a week-to-week basis to obey Jesus. They're incredibly difficult. And we should honor them by pointing it out specifically. Um, And not just in a generic way, by saying, you know, sort of good job, that's you're, you're doing something good, but by saying to them specifically, God is honored when you obey Jesus in that way. Let's make obedience to Jesus something that we celebrate consistently and point out in each other when we see it. We will only be as powerful as we are obedient. That's the truth. So let's filter everything through that grid. The second thing that it would look like for us to be a church that's all about Jesus is that we would be uh, obsessed with learning Jesus. So let's be obsessed with obeying Jesus, but also let's be obsessed with learning Jesus. Those things obviously are going to come together, but let's be obsessed with learning Jesus. Let us not settle for what we know of Christ today. Let's be the most discontent people of all in terms of how much we know of Christ, how much we appreciate of Christ. Uh, Kevin Van Hooser, one of my professors, uh, a great Christian thinker, he says, Pride does not ask. Pride knows. That, oh, that's such, so convicting to me. That we will only be as controlled by Jesus as we are captivated by him. So let's, let's all, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but let's all agree right now to never let ourselves ever again be bored with Jesus. There is nothing boring in Jesus, okay? Okay. Uh, Now that you have read Colossians 1, I hope you see that the the simple reality of who Jesus is uh, is explosive, enormous, we'll never get to the bottom of it, and if we're bored with him, it's not his fault. (laughs) There is always more to learn in Christ. uh, It should be just a normal question for for me to walk up to one of you or one of you to walk up to me or to one another and say, hey, what are you learning about Jesus right now? You don't have to have a new answer every single week. You might have the same answer for a whole year. Sometimes it takes that long for us to learn. Um, but let's be voracious learners. Let's be voracious question askers. Let's, let's all be Jesus scholars. Let's all have a thousand questions that we wish we could ask in person, the personal physical Christ, and learn from him. Thank God he's given us his spirit and he wants to teach us those things so we don't have to always dream about that. But let, let's make what would Jesus do cool again. I feel, I don't know what happened to WWJD. It's really fallen off, but we need to bring it back. WWJD, what would he do? 
Uh, as we think about our life situations, and as we think about, oh, I have this friend, or I have this coworker, and she's asking me this, or they're really irritating me in this way, or whatever it happens to be, we would reflect. What? And we would be driven back to the source material for Jesus. We would be driven. I, I want to see a movement of Parkview for love of the Gospels. The four biographies of Jesus' life in the Bible, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's read the whole thing in a whole sitting. I mean, if we, come on. If we can sit down and watch a movie for two hours, uh, it'll take probably less than that to read, for instance, the Gospel of Mark. Um, let's, let's know the whole flow of his life. Let's study the cultural background and really understand what it means uh, that Jesus grew up in the, in the place that he did at the time that he did. Um, you will be so eternally glad that you did. And let's point out, again, let's point out to another, one another when we see them acting like Jesus. Um, not just generically saying, you're a good person, you're, you're doing a really good job with X, Y, or Z, but specifically saying, you know, when you said that, that, w- that was a Christ-like thing to say. That, I think that's what Jesus would have done there. Let's be all about Jesus. Let's have the words of Jesus on our lips. Let's, have, let's, let's try to develop the instincts of Jesus. So when we get into situations, we begin to naturally respond in the way that he would have. Let's develop the affections of Jesus. Let's love what he loves and hate what he hates. Let's, let's, let's become a people that, as, as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, we're, sort of, we're going to head our, back to 1 Corinthians soon, but he would say, you are the aroma of Christ. We can smell like Jesus. If Jesus, Parkview, is as powerful as verses 15 through 17 say he is, and we are as connected to him as verses 18 and 19 say, then let's become the epicenter of renewal, of revival, of reconciliation, of God making all things new through people like us, people like you and me. Can you believe it? So let's pursue renewal by embracing this union with our cosmic king, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're just, ah, Jesus is everything to us. We confess it, and yet we confess it's not as true as it ought to be. It's not as much of a reality as it ought to be. When we look around at our own lives and we look around, we say, we need more of you. Get, purify that motivation. Make it real. Make Christ real to us right now. Make Christ real to us today. Make his power apparent to us in our lives. Uh, remind us in moments of pain and suffering and sin and temptation that your power is as near to us as our heads are to our bodies. You are not far from us. You love us. And let it be your gospel truth that draws us in to your very heart and then draws us out to love you more, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, beautify us as a church. Uh, Purify us and fill us with the power that is apparent in this passage, Lord. Only you can do that, we confess. Only you can do it. So do all that and more for us this week for the glory of your Son. Amen.